so good to uh, always be here with my church family, to be able to study God's Word together. And, and uh, you know, today uh, we're going to continue on in our study of abiding in Christ. It is our, uh, the second Sunday of our Vine Living series, uh, which Jordan led us into last week and did such a great job talking to us about what John chapter 15 teaches us, what Jesus teaches us about what it means to abide in Him and the fruit that comes from that and, and that He is the source of our strength and our life and everything that we need to, to function as children of God and do the things that He's called us to do. And today we're going to continue on in our study. And as I was preparing, uh, as I was preparing this week, I was reminded of... Uh, of a, a memory that I was able to make with our oldest daughter, Avalyn, a few weeks ago over the Christmas break. Uh, as many of you know, we've been, we've been uh, staying and uh, living with Pat and Randy, and, and they've been uh, gracious to open up their home to us, as they have many people throughout the years. And so we've been enjoying their company. But, you know, Christmas happens, and you just you got to see all the family, right? So we began to make our way uh, between uh, Malvern, uh, that's where Sarah is from, and, and Conway, where I grew up and where my family is. And while we were in Conway with my family, I, I was sitting there one day, and I was just looking out into the woods, because their, their house, the, the home that I grew up in, is just tucked way away from everything and in the middle of just a bunch of trees, and it's awesome. I love it. But as a kid, I, I remembered that one of the things that I enjoyed to do so much was just explore. Uh, all of the, the wooded area around us was just full of trees and rocks and seemingly boring things. But to, to a guy like me, that was, uh, that was exciting to just get out in the woods and explore and go see what was out there and just be out away from things and enjoy the peace and the beauty of what was out there. One thing that I used to, to do that I really enjoyed doing while exploring was when I would come upon a, a dead tree that was sticking up out of the ground pretty tall. And you could tell by looking at it, it, it looks strong, but the core of it is likely rotted out. And those trees are so much fun to just push over. Because it just makes a, you know, a big um, commotion. It's, and it's a big thing that you, you, it makes you feel strong. You know? So uh, I just had, I had fun doing that. Well, I decided this day that we were up there that I was going to take uh, Ava, our oldest, and, and uh, her cousin Lincoln down uh, for a walk in the woods. So we put our boots on and we began to walk. And as we were in the woods and they were climbing on rocks and kicking leaves and, you know, anything they could find to do, um, I saw one of these dead stump trees sitting out there. And so... Uh, and so the thought crossed my mind, you know what, this is an opportunity to really impress my daughter <laughs> and my nephew. And so I told those kids, I said, y'all stay right here and watch, watch me. You know, I walked over here, and I got this tree, and, and I mean, you know, I mean, you have fun with it. So I got up to this tree, and I put a lot of effort into it and made it look like a big deal and just kind of slowly and eventually pushed that tree over, and it hit the ground, and their jaws dropped. And they thought, man. You are they said that. In fact, my, my uh, nephew said, wow, Uncle Kent, you were so strong. And I thought, that's right. But, uh, <laughs> and then I saw another tree, and it was even bigger. And, I, and so I, 
you know, I was having a lot of fun, and I thought, well, this one, I'm going to approach this a little differently. I'm just going to one-hand this one and make it look really easy. So, so I got up to that tree and just was looking at them. I made sure they were looking at me, you know, and just pushed it over. And again, they were just amazed and blown away that I, that I had the strength to push over a tree. And they had no idea that it was, you know, it, it had nothing in the ground. <laughs> it was ready to just be pushed over. And I had a lot of fun uh, playing with them, messing with them about that. But, you know, one thing that I thought about on the heels of that memory-making experience with them was the fact that uh, the reality of it was, while I, I had a lot of fun with them, I had led them to believe that I was a lot stronger than I actually was. And I had convinced them that I was something that I wasn't. So growing up in Conway, and, and for any of you, if you've grown up in Arkansas or the surrounding areas, you, you probably know uh, that this area, this large area here, is what we call um, the Bible Belt. We are just full of, of, of churches in this area, and, and we are so thankful for all the churches that we have here in the United States and especially in Arkansas and the surrounding regions. But one thing... Growing up in that church cult culture, I realized that it seemed like at times everybody was a Christian. I grew up with, uh, with lots of kids in school who, who uh, didn't seem like a Christian, but if you asked them, they would say that they were. I was around a lot of people that, uh, that would quickly identify themselves as a follower of Christ or, or a Christian and and, and they would quickly say, you know, I go to church here, or I, I'm associated with this group. But there was no evidence, there was no fruit in their life to show that that's actually who that they were. And the truth of the matter is, is that there's a lot of people that say they're a Christian, that hang out in Christian circles, that are in reality not actually followers of Christ at all. And in this world, there are undoubtedly many people that claim to be a Christian when the truth is they're just not. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors in the world, he said this. He said, too many professed believers talk as if Christ were real and then act as if he were not. And that's a tragic reality in the world in which we live. And so I'd like you to look with me in John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, and I'm not going to read very far. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Did you hear what he said there? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So there is a branch that does not bear fruit. And there is a branch that does bear fruit. The NIV actually says he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. He cuts off the fruitless branch. And I want to, I want to be sure that you understand this morning that certainly, certainly, our God holds on to his children and he'll never lose any one of them, and he'll never cast them out. We read a lot about this in the book of John. Just a few examples here. John chapter 6, verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. 
John 10, 28. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And then again in John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. This is, this is true that our Father will never cast out His children, but the fact of the matter is we are dealing with two different vines here. This is a, uh, excuse me, branches. This is a different branch. We're dealing with two different branches. And this branch is a branch that is cut off, that is fruitless. And so we see that there is a type of branch or Christian that exists that is mechanically attached to the vine that doesn't have a desire for true salvation. It desires no change. It bears no fruit. There are people who are among the vine who are absent of life. A severed branch is lifeless. It lacks a source of nourishment. And it doesn't remain. Verse 6 of John chapter 15, if you read down, says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Sometimes we read things in Scripture that can be kind of discouraging. And if this Scripture discourages you today, if this, if this message in any way brings discouragement upon you, that's okay. Let it discourage you away from death and destruction. And let it encourage you to walk to Jesus, to lean in to the vine, to, to turn from sin and have new life in Him. I want to remind you of several things we read in Scripture that are also very concerning, very convicting, very hard to hear in this reality that there are people among us, there are branches among the branches who are truly in the vine that are not truly in the vine. In John chapter 6, verse 63 through 66, we read, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, Jesus says, they are full of the Spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And then verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Disciples. Judas was a disciple. He was among the 12 disciples. He was with Jesus but clearly, he was only a disciple in name. He was not truly a follower of Christ. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons? in your name, and do many mighty works in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
what a tragic moment this will be when, when all of these people who are living and existing in this world and associating with the vine and loosely connected with Christianity who have not truly been converted, who are not following Christ, who have no evidence of change in their lives when they meet Jesus and, they, and their, their defense for why Jesus should bring them into the kingdom is that, Lord, didn't I do all of these things in your name? Didn't I cast out demons and do many mighty works in your name? And what a tragedy it will be when many people hear, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Deeds simply won't do. And there's a lot of people that put faith in themselves. You walk around the street and you start to try to have a conversation about the gospel with somebody and and ask them why Jesus should let them into the kingdom of heaven. So many times out of ten, you'll hear people say, well, I do this or I do that or I'm a good person. Deeds simply won't do. And what we read here in Matthew chapter 7 that there are only two possible responses to Jesus' teaching. There are only two possible responses to what we read in God's Word. And those two responses are either obedience or rejection. So these professions of faith without appropriate changes of lifestyle prove empty. But works by themselves don't save. A relationship with Jesus is needed. The two go together. One of the most wonderful passages of Scripture that we read, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so a child of God, a true follower of Christ is not saved by works. There has to be a relationship with God, but the two go together. If there is a relationship with God, if a a person is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, there's going to be an inworking and an outworking. And this relationship with God is going to spill over and and, and works for the Father, for His glory, which we were created for in advance. And then lastly, let me, on this note, let me share this with you. We read very clearly in James chapter 2 that faith without works is dead. And in verse 19, he says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Faith apart from works is useless. To say that I am a Christian and to have no indication, no evidence, no no fruit at all to suggest that you are who you say you are is very shaky ground to stand on. So a severed branch is not only lifeless, there's no true faith or works. A severed branch is fruitless. It lacks a connection and it doesn't abide. Verse 4 of John chapter 15, read with me. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither 
can you unless you abide in me? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Pretty clear. Some of you may be asking, what is fruit? This question came up uh, Wednesday night in our small group, and it's a good question to ask and, and think through. We need to know uh, what, what we're talking about here. And uh, many of you, uh, if you have spent time studying God's Word, I'm sure at some point have stumbled across Galatians chapter 5, where we read about the fruits of the Spirit. And believers are enabled to walk by the Spirit and produce an inward fruit. When God comes into a person's life, when God saves a person from, from sin through the blood of Jesus Christ and brings them into relationship with Him, we are enabled to walk by the Spirit and produce inward fruit. And the, the fruit of the Spirit is, if you know it, say it, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these things are functioning inwardly in a believer as they grow up in maturity in Christ. But this is the indwelling fruit. When a person is saved, we become indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We have this indwelling fruit. We have the capacity to be filled with the Spirit and the resulting fruit. But then there is an outworking fruit. In, in this chapter, and in the chapters preceding, John places a strong emphasis on love. In John 14, we read on several occasions, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, who, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. We love Jesus by obeying his commands. If you truly love Jesus, you will walk accordingly. Your life will be structured about around who Jesus is and what Jesus wants, not who you once were. Fruit involves an outworking of that which is indwelling. So we love the Lord. We love people, and we live a changed life for God's glory. It's an outpouring of the fruit that is indwelling. But the absence of fruit, the absence of fruit is evidence of unbelief. A fruitless branch is a useless branch. As we read in, in, in verse 6, there's no vital connection, and, and, and the only thing that is, that is good for is to be gathered and thrown into the fire. And burn. There is a coming judgment. And God is gracious in that he has given us a lifetime of opportunity. To come to a place where we will turn from sin. And turn to Jesus. I've heard it said. It's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. The true vine, Jesus said, I am the true vine. The true vine creates true life 
and true life bears good fruit. You are not truly living unless you are living in Christ. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. So what do we do with this? Well, I want to tell you there are two things that the abiding, fruitful life requires. And the first is this. The abiding, fruitful life requires the response of faith. A person becomes fruitful when they turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. Jesus said, I am the vine. In verse 5, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Again, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we're hopeless. Because sin separates us from God. And only Jesus can save and make a person's life fruitful. And so the first thing we see is the response of faith, that we should turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. And the second thing that the abiding fruitful life requires is the result of grace. And I want you to hear this. A fruitful person, by the grace of God, has a life-changing, indwelling, outworking, abiding love for Christ and His people. A fruitful person, by the grace of God, has a life-changing, indwelling, outworking, abiding love for Christ and His people. And it's very important that you understand this. Only God can do this. Only God can bring this about in a person's life. Further down in John chapter 15, read with me. Verses 13 through 17. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. For you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask uh, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And we know that Jesus laid down his very life for us. But we also know that not everyone will experience this true life. Not everyone will walk in obedience to this command, and many will reject it. And a final word on this. Our God is patient. There's a parable in Luke chapter 13. And I love this parable. And this parable was uh, referencing uh, the, the people of Israel. But I think in this parable we see clearly the heart of God. Luke chapter 13, verse, verse 6 through 9. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, 
until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. What things and what ways has God been patient in your life? If you are a child of God, perhaps you can remember the ways that and the opportunities that God gave you and the people he put in your path and the truth that he put in your face from his word to show you his goodness and his grace and how to walk in his ways and how to turn from sin and to turn to Jesus. What are some ways that God has been patient with you? If you don't know Christ today, if you're not confident in that relationship, consider all the ways that God is being patient with you. Remember that God has graciously given you life on this earth. The opportunity to know him. Have there been times when you've heard the truth and you've rejected it? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And finally, John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. We can't hear it enough. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It is not God's desire to condemn the world. He came as Savior. But there is one who is in the world who is the deceiver. Don't, make God, don't mistake God's patience for his approval. Just because you've been able to get along and find how you've been doing all these years, don't mistake God's patience for his approval. He's patient and he's gracious. So I want to ask you, do you know with confidence today that you are truly in the vine? I want to ask you, what has changed in your life? If you are in the vine, what, what has changed in your life? We're all at a different place. Fruit comes in a variety of sizes. But in Christ, fruit grows. And a believer may have seasons or moments when they're not being very fruitful. But if you're in Christ, he will never cast you out. And he'll continue to cultivate that fruit. And I'll leave that for... Uh, our, our next message when we spend some time uh, seeing what John 15 has to say about pruning in the life of a believer. But what has changed in your life? What are some ways that God has been speaking to you through his word? I'm going to ask uh, Marianne if she would come up. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this, to respond to God's word. Will you respond to God's word in obedience and faith, or will you reject it? If you'd like to pray with anybody about what you've heard today or something you're dealing with or what's on your heart, we would gladly be here to receive you, to pray with you. And I pray that God will work in you in the way that only he can. So as we sing and as we worship, you come if you feel you need to come and pray.